0: Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. It's Texans All Access here from NRG Stadium in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It's Mark Vandermeer, joined by John McClain, the general from the Houston Chronicle. And we haven't visited for a while, John. Last week was game night as the Texans took on the Dolphins last time they took the field. How are you doing this evening?
1: I couldn't be better. It's it's so much more fun to cover a winner than it is a loser and getting to ask positive questions and ask, write positive stories and say stuff. Positive things, and uh, it's been fun. I'm fired up about the Denver game because of Case Keenum playing against the Texans for the first time, and then after the Demarius Thomas trade, it makes it even bigger. Yep. And uh, I, I don't see many moves that get universal approval like the like the Demarius Thomas trade did, and it should. It
0: should. It's funny, John. There's so many different aspects of this. First of all, I called it the biggest in-season acquisition in the history of the franchise. This is not a big leap, though, because you only had the deadline move back about what eight nine years ago. Actually,
1: and it it's should more like be six moved back ago. even more. Yeah. because the pretenders and the contenders are separated, and you would have more pretenders trading players. Right. If you moved it back to say. Crunch time, which is December, move it back later in November and you'd see many more trades being made. Well, the
0: league I felt always wanted to prevent against that for some reason and I'm not so sure why, because if you're a team that's so called out of it, and I know it takes a lot to be out of it in this league, but if you're a, and Denver's not out of it right now, but it just doesn't look very good in their division, no, let's no, be honest. Not at all. And with the AFC wild card picture the way it is currently. But the point is this, if you moved it back even a couple of weeks, well, then you're definitely, let's say Denver's 3-7, and seven, hypothetically. Now you know you're a seller, and it gives your fans something to get juiced up about, if nothing else. All right, the season's a wash, but let's see what we can get for these guys and sort of press the reset button early. Your thoughts on that? If
1: you did that, it would be more like the first week of free agency in which it's a frenzy mm-hmm. as teams would be jockeying for players because of injuries, because of the playoffs. The sellers would want draft choices. But as it is, it's gotten so much better the last couple of years, and that's exciting for the fans. I read one guy saying it keeps the NFL in the news. I'm like, geez, what news are you (laughs) looking at on Pluto? NFL's always in the news. But it gives you even extra. Of course. And and the Demarius Thomas thing, First of all, Brian Gain did a terrific job. The Texans had to have a wide receiver replace Will Fuller. I saw one nincompoop, a former player on one of the networks I watch, saying he didn't like it, gave it a C because he didn't replace Fuller. And I'm saying, okay, who out there would have replaced Fuller? There's nobody who runs in the 4-2s. They're not looking for a guy who runs in the 4-2s. But Thomas is 6'3 and 229. He, he catches a lot of balls down the field. Because he's big, he fights for the ball, he's experienced, he's strong, he knows how to go up and go after the ball. And so I still think that Deshaun Watson will throw balls to him down the field. And it might even be more like what he does with DeAndre Hopkins, just throw the ball up there. And let him fight for it. And, and also getting him for a fourth round pick when you have an extra two, when you're going to be flush with cap money, that's another reason to go for it. And it's a really great opportunity for Demarius Thomas because if he does well, they'll bring him back. They're not going to bring him back at $14 because he's not going to be a starter since Will Fuller will be ready for the season. But with Fuller's history of injuries and Kiki QT in his rookie season is not off to a good start injury-wise, and and Thomas is durable. He's reliable and experienced, and he's durable. And so bringing him back next year for lesser money, with maybe an extension and more up front would safeguard them for injuries to the other receivers. So I think, and if they don't like it after eight games, they just walk away and don't owe him a penny other than the 4500000 million they're paying of his contract this season. So maybe Denver will do great with the fourth-round pick. You know, the Texans have not historically done real well in the fourth round. There's a few, Kiki Q T, Julian Davenport, Ben Jones, Jared Crick, and there might have been somebody else. But I just thought this trade for what the Texans needed was absolutely outstanding. Well, when you
0: look at fourth-round draft choices, what's the percentage chance they turn out to be starters? 20% or something like that, if that. So are you going to take a 20% chance on a 2019 pick becoming a starter eventually, or are you going to take a bird in the hand, which is Demarius Thomas, who starts for you right away in the final eight games of the season? And look... It's going to be tough to get a first-round bye in the playoffs, even if you keep going really strong here, John. But they have a chance to do some damage. You want to hit the playoffs guns blazing with a healthy Watson and a healthy football team, who knows what happens.
1: And another thing about Demarius Thomas, and this I talk to people, cover the team and people in their organization. They raved about the kind of guy he is. You know, Bill O'Brien always wants the good teammate, great teammate, help, helps young players, not just young receivers like Cortland Sutton. But he's great in the community, does a lot of that. And they said he just is exemplary. Exemplary character, had a tough upbringing in Georgia, and they love the guy. They're honoring him mm-hmm. at the game. And, uh, uh, That's incredible, That is That it?
0: dynamic of this whole equation is wild. A few days later, he gets honored mile high. And if Bill O'Brien – look, I know it's hard to orchestrate these things, but you want to get him a touchdown on Sunday. Would that be something? To get uh, up if you get down close, Denver?
1: and I'm sure he's going to start. that reason. You're not going to start Sammy Coates or Vincent Smith. And some people think Kiki QT could take his place fuller. Well, no. Kiki's an inside receiver who's struggling to stay healthy. And Thomas is going to come in. He'll start. They'll have a package for him. Then they'll have the extra week to get him ready for uh, Washington. Think how excited he is to go from a 3-5 team to a 5-3 team in first place and to chance to play with Deshaun Watson. Everybody loves Deshaun Watson. So it's uh, it's a great deal for him. It could be great ultimately for the Broncos, but right now it benefits the Texans and people, so why not and Tate? Brian Gain didn't want to give up a one or two twos or a three, and uh, I'm glad he didn't do that because those are premium draft choices in t- today's era, and so I think hanging on to those guys was uh, splendid.
0: Well, you missed my favorite fourth-round draft choice in the history of the franchise, and it was a long time ago, but in 2003, they selected Dominic Davis, now known as Dominic Williams, who was pretty good for this team for three years. He was. That's a a, fourth-round pick.
1: Really? You know, he was okay. He's the best fourth-round pick in team history. Yeah. And uh, it's not even close.
0: 3,000 yards plus in three years of running the football, but uh, injuries... Ended his career, so that happened.
1: And we don't know he's still Dominic Williams, do we?
0: I think he's still Dominic Does Williams. He? He's on Twitter, and he and I
1: exchanged some messages
0: on Twitter about do a you, year ago. And is it was, he back in Louisiana? Yeah, he's in Louisiana. Well, good for him because yep.
1: he was the first good running back for this franchise.
0: Yeah, it was, well, Jonathan Wells called and said he's uh, upset with you on that comment. No, I'm just kidding about that. I like Jonathan <laughs> Wells. He had a few hundies. Every once in a while, he'd throw you a hundy. Yeah, every once in a while. The former Buckeye running back. All right, so tell me about Denver, the Broncos, this version of this team, 3-5. and five. A lot of people are thinking, ah, they're not that good. Look, they're not that good, but they're capable of some things. And against the Chiefs, my goodness, there they were in the fourth quarter in that game. They had the ball at the Kansas City, 39-yard line, down 10, a chance to do some damage and close to within one score. And then Keenum turns it over with a fumble. They had their opportunities in this game. they are capable of doing damage, John, but what is hurting them? What's stopping them?
1: Well, first of all, they're playing at home as opposed to Arrowhead Stadium, where they're familiar, but still, it's one of the three or four loudest stadiums in the league. They ran the ball really well against the Chiefs. They're going to run it. They have an undrafted rookie, Philip Lindsay from Colorado who's getting better and better. They still emphasize the run there, just like Bill O'Brien does. Uh, Vance Joseph being the defensive coordinator, he's gonna he lets Bill Musgrave run the offense. Now Case has thrown too many interceptions. Mm-hmm. He's uh, they haven't been good in the red zone. Now they've done well throwing a ball down the field when he gets time. And uh, I have Aaron Wilson and I have stories going tomorrow about he's got uh, keeping Miller and Chubb away from Watson, and I have keeping Watton and Clowney away from Keenum, and I really believe. The offensive line, it does the best of that, is going to win. And uh, the Texans, you know, you think about Watson last year, and maybe after this Miami game, we figure he's all the way back, but it just pins so much on Julian Davenport and Kendall Lamb and Lamar Miller and one of the tight ends helping them, but if they give him protection like they did, we saw exactly what he's capable of. And remember how great he played at new England and Seattle last year. Yes. They suffered narrow losses in those games. And the defense now is so much better than it was then with Romeo Cornell backed, uh, even though they're missing corners, they're still and inside linebacker, Zach Cunningham and Dylan Cole. The front seven is still, uh, exceptional. Right. And, uh, Case I just saw today, something I wrote about tomorrow, is rating outside the pocket is 107, it's fifth best in the league. So you want to keep him in the pocket. Yep. Now, that can be skewered considering number three is Brock Osweiler. but uh, And one of the worst outside the pockets, Drew Brees. Which uh, isn't that Anything that's not rated high with Brees is kind of surprising. Yeah, but you know he's he's a between the tackles passer, and uh, but the fact is they don't want Case just standing in a the pocket. They want him throwing on the move.
0: The Broncos do.
1: Yes, they do. Yeah, they Texans like want to keep him in the pocket, and I have Clowney specifically, and Whitney Mercil is talking about how they're going to do that.
0: That's why you have to watch those bootlegs, right? Because everybody wants to stop the run against Denver. They run it well. They lead the league in yards per carry average. So you have to find a way to not bite so hard on those run fakes when Case is booting to the outside. We'll see how they handle it. Not having Zach Cunningham would be a big thing.
1: But the outside guys, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Watt, J.J. said, This week, he wanted to improve his run defense. Sometimes he flies up the field, and he let him go and then run outside of him.
0: Is that what the Denver guys do too, though, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb? Because they – look, those guys are great pass rushers, but the Broncos have been getting gashed on the ground, and maybe that's one of the reasons why.
1: And Von Miller gained some weight, but he's still really a three-, four-week side outside linebacker playing defensive end. And so you need – on the rundowns, you need to hit those guys. Now, let's be honest, they're a great duo. They've got 15 sacks between them, but they've lost five games. Yeah. It's not like they're not, not unbeatable. Right. So teams do take advantage of their aggressiveness, firing, firing off the ball, firing up the field, and all of a sudden, phew, you got to get Lamar Miller running by him.
0: Texan secondary, you hinted at it earlier. Look, if they can get through this one, they get a lot of guys back potentially. But they have to get through this one. So at one point in the game, you had five safeties against the Dolphins. You have to figure out a way to piece together what you've got to work with back there. And if it's not Jonathan Joseph, my gosh, you know, what do you do about Emmanuel Sanders? You have Sutton, who's a good young receiver. You have to figure out a way to stop these guys.
1: Cherise Wright is back. And of course, they signed him early in the season. Kareem Jackson's playing great, no matter if it's corner or safety. Pro Football Focus has him second-highest graded corner this season behind Byron Jones of the Cowboys. Now, uh, the fact that Justin Reed can run so well, and he's playing great, he's playing like a first-round pick, and Tyron Matthews playing great. He can run. And uh, Andre Howell should be back after missing a game with a shoulder injury. I was thinking earlier, Andre Howell goes all this time, and it didn't matter that he's in meetings and practice, he couldn't hit anybody. You know, you can't yeah. practice hitting. So I wonder what it was like to come back for that first game from beating cancer but also hitting somebody for the first time since the last game of last season. And right. I'm thinking no wonder his so- shoulder was sore. So he'll be back, and he's played some corner. That versatility has been invaluable and guys that can cover slot receivers, Kareem, Matthew, Reed. uh, I think J. Joe and Aaron Colvin are hoping to play in this game, but with the bye, I'm guessing they'll hold them out one more. If they just get through this, then they're going to be in the best shape they've been in since the first game of the season going into Washington and then three home games in a row.
0: I think 2012, when there were 7-1 and at the halfway point, that was probably a high point as far as halfway points yes. in the history of this team. But this is maybe as good. Knowing what happened to that team, this is as good a chance as you have to do some damage. Now, as I said earlier, it's going to be really tough to get a first-round bye. but I think we all agree that if you could just get to the postseason with a healthy Watson and most of the supporting cast relatively healthy, you should be in pretty decent shape or have a shot to beat just about anybody.
1: I'll say this about... Uh, and you're not supposed to look ahead, you know. Uh, we can. The first-round bye. Uh, say you had to go to Kansas City. Yeah. Kansas City just lost playoff game to uh, Tennessee, and Andy Reid's only won two playoff games there. And uh, uh, sure, the Texans would love to continue to win and get a first-round bye, but that's going to be – really hard considering the Patriots and they also have the tiebreaker mm-hmm. and in Kansas City may even be better than the Patriots
0: just get the division and worry about the rest of Texans
1: it need to win the division and and hope that the Chargers lose to Seattle mm-hmm. hope that Pittsburgh loses to Baltimore mainly they they're focused on taking care of their business and see what happens around the league and And the schedule, you know, they're playing a schedule for finishing in last place. They had been playing a schedule for finishing in first place. And uh, Mm. so having those three games at home in a row before you Who play the Jets and the Eagles on the road, then coming back against Jacksonville. Not to mention, Mark, having the three division teams here. That's big. That bodes very well for the Texans winning division as long as one player stays healthy. If Watson's healthy, the Texans are capable, capable of beating anybody on the schedule.
0: All right, a few things to clean up here before we go around the league and visit with the rest of the AFC South and AFC in general. And how about the NFC? But, John. My notable stat here is that Watson only had to throw the ball 20 times against Miami. He only had to throw the ball 24 times against Jacksonville. That's 44 times in a combined two games. You won them both. That means they're running the ball well. They were highly efficient. And that's huge because Watson, it reduces his exposure to the defenders.
1: Let me point out a stat of my own. In each of the last four games, his attempts have gone down. If that continues in Denver, he'll throw fewer than 20 (laughs) passes, which means – that you have, he's been very efficient as he was mm-hmm. against the Dolphins. So he's running the ball great. Both teams are going to try to run, run, run. The best way to keep Miller and Chubb and Watt and Clowney off the quarterbacks is run the ball. Yeah. And I think we'll see that. So it's kind of old fashioned throwback football compared to a lot of teams who want to throw the ball 40 times. But, you know, the fact is, it's fun to watch a team when it wins. And I'm sure Watson would love to throw it 40 and complete 35 for five touchdowns every week. But the more they can do to keep him from getting hit, that is the key to this offense.
0: John, the fact that the Broncos traded Demarius Thomas at 3-5 and three on the year, if they lose this one, I imagine, I mean, it's not going to be any easier for Vance Joseph, but there were some rumors early on that he was on a short leash anyway. What do you think the situation is with the coaching staff there in Denver?
1: Um there was talk Elway wanted to fire him after last year, then Vance made a bunch of changes on his staff. And I think that if he if they don't turn around he's out. I think they're gonna draft a quarterback. You know, every right when you think teams have the quarterback issues solved, you look around Miami, Jacksonville, Denver, and there's more. They need quarterbacks and I can see Elway who's drafted and signed a bunch. None of them are on the roster since he became general manager and I could see them – Case has one year left on his contract. I could see them pursuing a draft choice, which will require them to move up just like they moved up for Paxton Lynch.
0: I've been on Broncos radio a couple of times this week, and they were asking me – one of the hosts was asking me about Case Keenum. What am I seeing in him? I haven't watched him a ton. I've watched highlights. I watched a bunch of that Kansas City-Denver game last week. But, you know, he's turning the ball over, like you said, too much. But what are you seeing? He had the great year in Minnesota last year. But I don't think anyone pictures him as a franchise guy necessarily. And that's not a knock on him. This is an undrafted free agent who basically came from the Texans practice squad when he was running routes and playing defensive back sometimes. And here he is as a starter in this league. He's accomplished a lot already. But what do
1: you think of him right now in Denver? I think he had great coaching last year. And they utilized utilized his talent perfectly. Letting him roll out, set, throw the ball and he was very accurate. He had two great receivers, and Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, and a good tight end. And Kyle Rudolph, and they ran the ball well enough, even though they lost Dalvin Cook, but he seems more helter-skelter. You know, he's got a Kubiak coaching him, but it's not Gary. It's Clint, his son, who's a offensive assistant slash yep. quarterbacks. he got Musgrave as a coordinator, Sullivan as a quarterback coach, and they watch film. They know how he needs to be used, but He's throwing into coverage. They're struggling in the red zone. You know, we know what that's like. I know the Texans have been great in the red zone the last two games, six touchdowns, but. Uh, he's never played against the Texans. You know this is a big game for him. Yep. So the Texans are going to get the very best Case Keenum has to offer on Sunday afternoon. That's one reason this game is going to be so much fun.
0: Why did Minnesota not re-sign him? Because
1: they wanted Kirk Cousins. You know they thought Kirk Cousins. They gave him a guaranteed contract, fully guaranteed contract. And right now they are, what are they, four, three, and one? Yes, four, three, and one. Anybody can win the NFC, the NFC North, but I think they I think if Cousins had not been available, they would have stuck with Case another year. I talked to Case this week. I asked him about going from U of H to Houston, to St Louis, back to Houston, back to St Louis, to Los Angeles, <laughs> Minneapolis, and now Denver. He said they have movers and and car shippers on their speed dial. Yep. And he hopes they don't have to call him because he loves Denver. But he's realist. I think he'll be there one more year. Uh-huh. And uh, he said it's tougher on Kimberly than it is him. So he has to learn all these different systems, teammates, uh, receivers, coaches. But he's able to do it because he's such a smart guy, and he's a football smart guy. And I, I'd love to see him stay there. But he said, I got a Kubiak on my shoulder. It's Clint. Yeah, Gary said, I see Coach Kubiak around, and I owe him everything, but Gary is a senior personnel advisor who works in personnel and doesn't have anything to do with coaching. And if Vets does or when he gets fired, say it's during the season, would they elevate Musgrave, would they elevate one of the assistants, or would they go knock on Gary's door and say – Hey, Gary, could uh, you finish the season? Or if Joseph gets fired after the season, I'll guarantee you, you know, Elway would say, hey, uh, you got any interest?
0: Well, I think Rhonda would be the person he has to ask about that. Almost yes, more dear. than Gary.
1: He would have to call her and say, honey, she'd say no.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's the whole thing right there. Uh, it's been tough for Gary Kubiak.
1: It would be great to see him come back, but uh, I don't think so.
0: I Here's my thought. You know, you think about him on an interim basis. Well, it wouldn't be as stressful or whatever. What's the pressure, really? I don't know. I I don't see him doing something like that.
1: Gary puts the pressure on himself. Yeah. You know, he used to run all the time. He's in great shape. And then when he had the stroke on the sideline and they tried to make him leave earlier and they would count him, find him sneaking in the building like a kid. Yeah. Because, you know, Rhonda can't put a, a... leash on him right and so he was like a kid he would hide so people think he was gone and he'd come in another entrance so he could coach some more
0: that locker room office comes in handy <laughs> there's an office back there hey i used to do my dom capers pregame interview in the locker room office. Did you the Head really? coach has a little office back there and dom had a pull away couch he used to sleep in there sometimes but uh, dom was really great with that kind of stuff you know i used to meet with him in there on Fridays prior to game weekend.
1: When Gary was that one-year offensive coordinator in Baltimore in 2014 mm-hmm. when the Texans kicked their butt here with Case, he uh, their facility's tremendous. It's out in the woods, outside town in Owens Mills, and he and Rhonda got a condo close by, and I think it was like five or ten minutes, so he was really – because she was going back and forth seeing the kids, almost living there. He would go yeah. over in the dark. He would work all day. He would run. He would eat his three meals there. He would go home, climb in bed, right when it's time to go home. Then do it again. So he was almost living there, which is what Gary Kubiak likes to do. He told me once in the off season, he I said because they live, you know, they live outside here on their on their farm, and he's got a big tank, and he still got up in the dark. And he mm-hmm. said, there's only so much you can do with your tractor, so many times you can fish. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Gary golfs. If he does, he doesn't golf very well. But he was so antsy. Yeah, When you do that, put as much into it for so long as a coach or a player. Can you imagine a player and a coach? And then all of a sudden, you got to stop it? That is difficult.
0: I still get up in the dark. You know, all those years of doing morning drive radio, I cannot get up later than, you know, when it's dark, well, you got it, kids too. Well, well, that's but that's the only part of it because when you do morning drive radio and the rare days that you wake up like on a weekend and it's light out, you feel like you're late. You miss something. You miss big. something. You jump out of bed. Yeah. What time
1: do you go to bed?
0: uh Not early enough. Ten thirty, eleven o'clock. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm one of those
1: days up twelve thirty or one yeah. because I I just can't. And I still get up, but as soon as I go home, I take a
0: nap. I'd love to say ten o'clock. It's it's out, but I don't do that. No. And you know, it'd be it'd be great because sleep is important. We learn that around here. Texans coaches and sports performance experts say sleep is important, other than for the head coach because he doesn't want to do it. By All the right. way,
1: John John Harris had this about the significance of Wes Welker, who played with Demarius Thomas yeah. and Luke Richardson, mm-hmm. who was with him for six years, and nobody knows players better than those uh, those guys who work them out every day. And I'm sure Luke gave him a hearty high-oh based on what I heard in Denver. So you know he played an instrumental role in Brian Gain making this deal.
0: Luke's assistants here are all Broncos guys. Too. Got like
1: three of them, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. So they are all they all know him really well. I mean, it's like a big reunion. I saw them all gathered yesterday. They were just hoot, not hooting and hollering. That's probably not a good way to put it. Oh, they, they were, they were chatting it up. Let's just put it that way. All right, let's go around the league here a little bit. We touched on the Texans and Broncos plenty, but what about the rest of the AFC South as the division other than Houston is in turmoil? John, it's really shocking to me how quickly this all happened. Me too.
1: You know, we all thought it was going to be a better division. Right now, it's not. I thought at zero and
0: three. I don't know what you were thinking, but even you know, I'm Mister Positive. I am Norman Vincent Peale. No, of Sports I'm Mister Negative. All right, so I, I thought said, it was over. I thought if the Texans could somehow, when they were zero three, I thought if they could somehow get to six and six, maybe they have a shot at a wild card because I thought the division would be unreachable. I thought Jacksonville, after beating New England, my gosh, what a convincing win! Jacksonville's they did going beat places. Handily. Yeah, they did at their place, and then all of a sudden Jacksonville goes into a. You didn't see it right away, but like, well, maybe they have some uh, some dents in the armor there, and clearly they they turned into you know icebergs hitting the Titanic floating and the titans early look when they beat the, the texans score yeah we knew that that was a Mariota flawed win big time. and when they when the titans beat the jaguars it was 9 to 6 my gosh you have to be able to score points in this league this just in so let's start with tennessee john do they have a shot at reversing their fortunes
1: their defense is real good. They're not running the ball with Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis like I thought they would. Their offensive tackles. Taylor dewine has been hurt. Jack Conklin came back after he was missed. He he had ACL surgery in December, and he came back in in uh, December of last year, and, and he came back and he hadn't played as well. So they're not running the ball. Mariota, they don't know what's happening to him. He, just, he was really good, and they beat Philadelphia and he hadn't done squats since. And right Is he now, hurt? Is he just playing no, banged No, they say up? he's just not playing well. And um, making a lot of mistakes he didn't make before, which tells you it's mental and not physical. The best team besides the Texans, the Colts. Yeah. When they come in here to play the Texans, uh, mm-hmm. they're in that three-game home streak. That is, good. Watson and Luck are going to light it up like they did at Lucas Oil Stadium and maybe even more.
0: Andre brought up a great point. If, if Reich, never mind going for it on fourth down and missing it, if he just takes the tie. What are, What is the world like now for him? Ooh. I mean, they're thinking they're a game off the lead, Ooh. and they're coming here. You know, it could be very different, it, and it still might be very different, but they're two games back, and the Texans beat them in that one, so we'll see how it turns out. But the Titans, John, I find this interesting. They're at Dallas this week. Three weeks later, they're back on Monday Night Football at the Texans. So they're back in the Lone Star State, three weeks apart. Now, it just works out that way. These are two different teams, but the league scheduling people thought enough of them to put them on Monday Night Football twice on the or, road. Or uh,
1: I think it's great they put them on here with the Texans because it's a it nat- should be a natural rivalry. Yeah. And the thing about the Cowboys, you could put on rice with the Cowboys <laughs> and it's yeah. going to be the highest rated game. No offense to the War Owls. And, uh, but I don't think it matters. But um, the Titans, if they get Mariota worked out or they start to run the ball better – they're going to they're going to win some games cuz the defense and special teams are outstanding and um, and I would I don't know about Mariota but I would think they're going to once the weather turns and they're on the road they have to run the ball better than they have and Jacksonville I think they're going to end up finishing last and the Colts the Colts have rushed for more than 200 yards in the last two games Marlon and Mack is playing great luck seven touchdowns no interceptions Chris Ballard Give him another offseason. Give Brian Gain another offseason. No telling how good these teams are going to be next year.
0: Yeah, and the other teams have a lot going for them too if they can straighten out some of their problems. All right, let's get to the Browns hosting the Chiefs only because the Browns had the coach firing this week with Hugh Jackson being shown the door and Greg Williams, who's been offered many jobs, according to him. 11
1: jobs, four they didn't even want to interview him. I've known Greg Williams since 1990 when he came with Jack Pardee to the Oilers where he had a little office in a, a closet, and I have never heard anybody say anything more preposterous than what he said about having eleven coach, head coaching offers, and four would have hired him sight unseen, and not not one person in the country believes it. Mm-hmm. He gets he was eight and a half point underdog to Kansas City, um, Greg. I'll guarantee you he knows this is the last chance he'll ever have to impress people about having. a be head coach but you can't say things like that yeah you just can't do it nobody including your own players doesn't believe it coaches have to have credibility even though they lead the league in turnovers forcing turnovers i think the uh, chiefs will beat them handily
0: john the raiders and 49ers play thursday night football do you think gruden Misinterpreted what it was all going to be like once he got back into the game, or did he know that he wanted to strip it down and basically start over once they make the Vegas move?
1: If he looked at his team and studied it before he accept, accepted Mark Davis's offer, I think yes, because if you, I think if he knows if he and whoever is the GM, so I don't think it'll be Reggie McKenzie, if they know what they're doing in these picks, then. It, everything's geared toward Las Vegas. So we may look back three years after they moved there and go, wow, there was method to his madness. And they're, the more they lose, the higher their picks. So they've thrown in a towel on being in Oakland, which is probably going to be another year. And so I don't blame him for doing what he's done considering their situation of moving. And uh, San Francisco could be starting a guy, third-string quarterback. I picked the Raiders uh, yesterday when I had to make that pick, even though they're playing in uh, Santa Clara.
0: All right, 49ers. Kyle Shanahan, he'll be there at least another year, do right? Do you
1: know that some – let's see, it might be a friend of mine. said he was on the hot seat. <laughs> oh, Number man. one, he and John Lynch signed six-year contracts. Yeah. And if Jimmy Garoppolo was playing, do we think – that they would be getting beat like this, just like last year when they were four and twelve. A lot of people saying O'Brien's oh, going to be fired. Well, any idiot could see when you got fourteen starters on injured reserve and twenty-three players that the head coach is not going to be fired. He's not going to be, and he wasn't. Kyle Shanahan's not going to be fired this year or next year.
0: Uh, Patriots hosting the Packers. Give me that one.
1: Great game. Uh, those two have never gone up against each other. The way Brady's going, maybe he'll be around in four more years. But we better enjoy it while we can because odds are they're not meeting in the Super Bowl.
0: John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle?
1: I've got a thing about uh, Case Keenum and the Broncos better be worried about Watt and Clowney. Aaron Wilson's got one about stopping Miller and Chubb, Davenport, and – Kendall Lamb, and then he's doing something on how Hopkins and Thomas fit for Sunday. And um, Brian T. Smith's writing a really in depth thing on Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, for Sunday. And thank you very much, as always.
0: All right, let's get to Brian Gain here. You heard from him a bit yesterday on the acquisition of Demarius Thomas, but what about some other stuff? Let's get to the rest of the game plan, and you can pick up the game plan podcast on HoustonTexans.com or wherever fine podcasts are available. And I asked Brian about Tyron Matthew. What an off-season acquisition he's turning out
2: to be. Yeah, Tyron has had a great season uh, so far. has been a very good fit for, for us uh, on the field, but also in the locker room equally in the community uh been a good leader he's developed for us in terms of uh having a presence and, and a leadership role here on the team and haven't been here only since april uh that's an that's an impressive uh, feed for him um equally he's a very good teammate he's an accountable guy he's dependable he's reliable he's productive he's a very instinctive football player um so we're very happy to have him, and uh, you know we're hoping for good things here the second half of the season from Tyron.
0: In the game against the Dolphins, you have Jonathan Joseph going out hurt. At one point, you have five safeties in the game, so that speaks to the versatility you and Bill always talk about.
2: When we think about our secondary, you know, and split up between cornerbacks and, and safeties, we often refer to them as defensive backs because not just in base, but you're always going to ask what kind of roles they can play in subs. So sometimes you'll have a safety who can come down in the box and play a nickel role or play a dime linebacker role. Sometimes we have a corner that can play perimeter corner but also play in the slot. We here have some corners who also can play safety. So it's allowed for us what I would call some interchangeable skill sets, guys who can do a bunch of different jobs when when and if the bell rings when we need that versatility. Ultimately, they have a position one. And when we talk about players in in scouting, often we'll say this is their position one, this is their position two. And then here's what he can do on fourth down. We have a lot of position one and position two players in the secondary. So ultimately that gives us good 46-man versatility. Well, you're running the ball so well now. And
0: when I look at the tackle positions, these are young guys who... Maybe have taken their lumps, but they've got upside. So you had to have faith that they would continue to improve. What did you see in these
2: guys? Well, continuity and consistency for the past few weeks. I think there's there's been some symmetry in who's been in the lineup here. I, I have to point to the health and the well being of Nick Martin. You know, playing center now had two you know in two two seasons of injuries, just being out there for for all this time. Kind of as the benchmark in the middle. Um, but the other thing too with the young tackles is ultimately ultimately it's player development. Its experience as they gain snaps and get those under their belt, they, they get some pelts on the wall, and they're able to uh, count on those experiences. And Mike Devlin's done a very good job developing those guys, and and the scheme and the system and the offensive game plan have all been fully coordinated. I think as it relates to how we can help the protection. But uh, look, once you get the running game going, it helps everything on offense. Mm. It gives you the play-action game. It helps the tight ends. It helps the backs. It helps the receivers. And the running game can be the best friend of a young quarterback.
0: Tyler Irvin, you talked about guys in the secondary being defensive backs. So what is he? Because he's a receiver, he's
2: a return man, he's a running back. He can do a lot of different things for you. You Know in scouting terms, you know uh, Tyler can be referred to as a utility player. If that's not a baseball term, but in <laughs> scouting terms, you know it's great because fundamentally you can line them up in terms of being in the backfield. You can detach them to the slot. You can put them on the move. The fourth down value obviously is helpful because he's a two-way returner. He's not just a kickoff returner or a punt returner. He does both. But on offense, he can be a situational player for us. And uh, depending on the situation, if it's third down or or if it's longer down and distance passing situations, he can offer a pass game dimension at running back from the backfield or from the slot. So he gives us good 46-man game day flex. And what about the Denver equation
0: here? Because the altitude and the Broncos and going up there, and you mentioned it, this is one
2: game in a 24-day span, but it's a huge game. It is. Number one, it's the next game. Uh, number two, this is the first game of the third quarter of the season. The second quarter of the season is over, so we're, we want to get off to a good start here. And the fact that there it's one game over, over what I would say is a 24-day period, the importance of getting this win as it positions ourselves from Thanksgiving on. Mm-hmm. So just looking down the road with a win in Denver, if, we have, if we're if afforded the opportunity to get one, thinking about where we're going to be around Thanksgiving because ultimately we want to be playing our best football by the time we hit our stride right around Thanksgiving, ultimately into December 1st. So a win in Denver would position us very strongly as it relates to the division. The other thing is this is a conference game. It's a very important conference game. It's not easy to go to Denver and get a victory. So we mm-hmm. certainly are, are aware of, of, of the task at hand. But just thinking down the road, long term, you know, anytime you get a conference victory as that plays into any sort of playoff seedings or December football, it's important to look back and and know that you got those victories in order to help you position yourself as it relates to playing in December and January.
0: Good stuff there from General Manager Brian Gain, part of the Gain Plan podcast available on HoustonTexans.com. Now time for Houston Methodist minutes. And this week, it's high ankle sprains with Dr. Travis Hansen of Houston Methodist Hospital, Willowbrook location. Doctor, how's it going?
3: Doing great. Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: Well, let's talk about ankle sprains. And I want to start with the high ankle sprain, the dreaded high ankle sprain. How does this differ from a regular ankle sprain, doctor?
3: So the the high ankle sprain is an external rotation injury, whereas your regular ankle sprain, you kind of turn over and your, and your foot twists under you. Uh, the external rotation on the ligament causes the ligament to rupture, and it's actually the ligament between the bones in your leg as opposed to the ligaments that stabilize the ankle. And so it takes a lot longer to get over, longer return to play for football players.
0: Now, sometimes we see players turn an ankle and they can come back and play that very day. And other times it takes a little bit longer. But how do you know? What, what do you do on the field or right away when you see an ankle without an X-ray or an MRI to see what the damage might be?
3: Well, a lot of it is just seeing what happened. You know, you're watching them on the field and sometimes you can directly observe the mechanism of the injury. You'll see the team doctors looking up at the, at the video um, as they're doing the replay to, to get a better look at that. And you can kind of tell immediately, did the athlete feel a pop? Are they able to weight bear on it pretty quickly? Or are they having a hard time putting their weight on it? And then, you know, the, the areas of tenderness. If it's very localized, just over the low ankle sprain ligaments, we're more likely to, to get them back on the field that day. If they have tenderness higher up over the over the area where you consider it a high ankle sprain or or on the medial aspect of the ankle, then we, we determine that it's a higher level of an injury and they may not be back that day.
0: All right, so recovery time for a high ankle sprain versus the lower ankle sprain.
3: Generally, a low ankle sprain is anywhere from immediate return to play to three to four weeks. A high ankle sprain, we talk about it being closer to six to eight weeks. And for that reason, there's been kind of a movement over the last few years to do immediate surgery on a high ankle sprain um, because we found that that has been able to get these athletes back on the field quicker. Uh, The Alabama quarterback, Jalen Hurts, and this is no HIPAA violation because this is all in the news, had a high ankle sprain, and he underwent surgery, and they were hoping to get him back one to two weeks after the procedure, and that may be optimistic, but it remains to be seen, but they're has been some success with immediate surgery on high ankle sprains.
0: Excellent information, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Great, thank you, Mark.
0: Dr. Travis Hansen of Houston Methodist Hospital, Willowbrook location. Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine offers convenient sports injury clinics for student athletes all throughout the Houston area. All fall long, Saturday mornings in Baytown, Clear Lake, West Houston, Katy, Sugarland, and Willowbrook. For more information, log on to HoustonMethodist.org/athlete. The official healthcare provider of the Houston Texans. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. Well, that's going to do it for the show tonight. John Harris back with you tomorrow night at six. We'll have Bill O'Brien. We'll have plenty of good stuff for you. Don't forget about Texans Extra Points Saturday at 6.30 and Texans Buzz Saturday night at 11. Both those shows on ABC 13 and Texans Game Plan Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KPRC Local 2. Just some of your Texans TV shows to check out on a weekly basis. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans!